And uh, this morning, as we prepare, uh, I encourage you, open your scriptures to Acts 13. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. And if you're not familiar exactly where Acts is, you're kind of towards the back third. It's after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and it's before Romans and a bunch of other books. So as we move forward, this morning we're talking about the idea of what is worthwhile, and that worthwhile is never easy. Uh, how many of you have ever purchased something? <laughs> You've purchased something and you had buyer's remorse, right? You know, often I'll share from my own experiences, not today. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pick on everybody else. My best friend bought a Yugo. Come on, there's got to be more than six people that know what a Yugo is. My first clue that this vehicle wasn't worth one week's salary on minimum wage was when I got in and tried to roll the window down, it rolls in reverse. And I, I broke the handle off. It just snapped off. All I was trying to do is roll the window down, and it just snapped off. And he never learned his lesson, because now he's like, he bought a, and no offense to somebody, if, first of all, if you bought a Yugo, we forgive you. Okay. <laughs> Second of all, uh, this individual now, he loves buying the quirky things. That's just him. That's his personality. Maybe you, maybe you know someone like that. Uh, but it definitely wasn't worthwhile. Uh, now he's exploring the whole electronic car thing, right? And, and so he's got a Nissan Leaf, and he loves it. He loves it except when he's stuck on the side of the road with no more juice. That's, that's, now it's, you're starting to question, was this really worthwhile, Right? We have some wonderful things happening here at CBC, especially in our children's programming. And uh, our children's program has expanded into what I believe is a worthwhile endeavor on Wednesday nights. And so they convert this whole half of the sanctuary over into like an incredible activity land. And it's not just for the kids, it's for the whole families. And so uh, Megan and Laura have worked really hard and their theme is Fruits of the Spirit. And many of you uh, know who uh, our wonderful Declan is. Now, Declan is 13 years old, right, Rachel, Bob? How, how old is Declan? Pretty close. 12, somewhere around there, bar mitzvah age, right? Uh, I think Declan's three and a half? He'll be three in February. I walked into this activity where Dave and Rachel get to do all of these things with their child, and they're studying the fruits of the Spirit, and I'm watching Declan enjoy the games as a family. So the family's doing games together, but they've gone through Scripture together, and they've done some arts and crafts together, and I sit there, and I'm watching Declan do stuff, and proud parents turn to me and say, hey, I want you to hear what Declan has to say. And so not even three-year-old Declan walks up to me, and you got to understand, it's not just that he says this. Declan is faster than Einstein and, and uh, techno beat music mixed together somehow, um, if you can wrap your head around that. This kid is just firing on more cylinders than anybody should properly have. And, uh, but he stops, and he's so excited with this big smile on his face. He tells me, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Are you kidding me? Can we just give a hand to those, those children's directors? And so this week, what do you think happened? He recited the entire Torah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, what happened this week is, you know, it's a family activity, and so... It just kind of evolved this way. The question is, is it worthwhile? Oh my goodness, you're going to be packed now, Megan. I'm, I'm giving you some props here. You're going to be packed. Because you're all sitting home with your kids thinking, is it really worthwhile to put them in the car seats, drive all the way here, and, and then they're going to be grumpy, you know, because we're going to be here till 9.30 at night because Pastor Jeremy's speaking. No, no, you're not. You're, you're, you're here just till, what time are they usually out, Megan? 
7.45. And, and so these, you know, these families come in, and this week, they had a whole station for painting. And a whole station for painting, so families can sit and paint with their kids uh, these different things that connect to the story. Is this worthwhile? Well, for those moms this week it was, because pretty soon the dads are off doing all this stuff with the kids, and it became one of those color me mine events over here, where all these women, you know, are, are painting and talking and talking and painting and sharing and talking and painting and, and la la la, and, and you know, we don't even care what's happening over here, you know, we're just having this, and it just kind of evolved, and boy, those moms will tell you right now, oh, that was worthwhile, that was worthwhile. We have some worthwhile things going on, but see, the challenge for, for Megan and Laura is to say, what are we going to do? We're going to put a lot of effort, we're going to put a lot of work into something, and it comes at a risk. Are people going to think this is worthwhile? So I want you to think this morning as we look at this story out of Acts 13, what are those things in your life that you're striving towards that are worthwhile and give a great return a legacy return. In some ways, this is easy for us to relate if we have children, right? We want to invest in our children so that our children, what, what's the old statement that will never live again, with, that the next generation, we want them to have more than the previous generation, then we have equated that as success. I think that that's a horrible way to equate success. That, that our children have in inner strength and inner peace and that their souls are secure in Christ and within their families and that we live as honorable parents, not perfect parents, but we live as honorable parents that demonstrate the love of Christ to them so that before, before our memorial service where we can hear nothing, right? Then they get up and, and they share some thoughts about us. Wouldn't it be great if based off of what was worthwhile and our investment in our families, that they would hold an event that we are at and they share, you know, Dad, it was worthwhile that you took that time and you invested in me. Mom, it was worthwhile all those long hours that you sat and listened to me. It was worthwhile that... that you told me that I needed to make sure I wasn't going down this way, even though I resisted you, even though I was frustrated with you. How about our marriages? How about our jobs? When you're thinking, when you're planning about your career, you probably had these great aspirations and you were seeing yourself changing the world. Anybody like that? Or some of you are like, nope, just put me on the assembly line, right? Or just let me do the widgets. That's me. That's what I want to do. To yesterday was Veterans Day, and my hope is that if there's an individual that joins our armed forces, that they're, they're doing so with the understanding that they're going to make a what? A difference. Something worthwhile. This morning, we get to look and open the scriptures into an event. So let's go there. Acts 13. And as we look at this event, it's a continuation of the story. And it's a continuation in the sense that Paul and Barnabas have arrived in Asia Minor. They've arrived in a city called Antioch. Not the Antioch that they were commissioned from, but a different Antioch, part of what's now today modern-day Turkey. And they were invited into the synagogue. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. They're invited into the synagogue and they're actually given an opportunity to stand and speak. And so Paul stands up and he gestures. I don't know what kind of gesture he would have done, but you know, maybe like this, maybe this. I don't know. I don't know what Paul would have done. But it says he gestured with his hand and then he goes into this incredible speech that I have to believe he had been working on for a long time. It was a worthwhile speech, as indicated by where we pick it up today. So let's read. We're going to be in verses 44 through 52. Join with me as, as we um, break into this story. And, and in your mind, picture yourself in an, 
in a biblical-style town, a first-century town, and it wouldn't have been a, a, a huge city, but pretty big at that time. And it says this, so they've stayed a week, and there's all this buzz about these, these two guys. And it says this, the next Sabbath, which would have been Friday night to Saturday night, the worship day, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, this is a prophetic statement. It's a fulfillment of this prophecy that the Lord gave to them. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Let's stop for just a second. Many of you may not understand when we're talking about Jews, Gentiles, that now you're up into uh, Turkey, uh, the Roman Empire had expanded all the way over into Palestine, into Israel, and further, and all the way down to the north coast of Africa. So you've got, and, and that even was an extension of Alexander the Great and, and Greek thinking as well, okay? So you have Jewish thinking, you have uh, the, the sense of, of all the tradition, all the um, exclusivity that was there with being Jewish and how you would separate yourself from other societies because those societies were seen as unclean. So in a Jew's mind, those who were not Jewish were unclean. You don't associate with them because God is not with them. That was the thinking at that time. What's being said here is that a group of Jews, so you've got a city that's a, an amalgamation of a lot of different people. Not just a Jewish city, it's probably more Gentile than Jewish. But they had gone to the synagogue, which was the vestige of the Jewish community. They had inserted themselves there first, and word got out about this incredible message that they were sharing. Have you ever heard an incredible message? Have you ever turned around and told somebody, hey, you need to go to this seminar with me on how to flip houses? No? <laughs> don't, don't. Don't do it. But maybe some of you have heard something or you've seen something uh, on the internet or you've had tapes or whatever and you've passed those on to someone because you've said, this is worthwhile. Now think about that very valuable thing to you and how it has spoken to so many people. You pass that on and the people look at it and, and as a matter of fact, not only do they look at it, they look you in the face and they say, no. No, I know who this is. I don't want to have anything to do with them. I, I, I think that's, that's a bunch of bunk. As a matter of fact, you know that person didn't pay their taxes like five years running, right? On top of the fact, uh, they've taken a vow never to bathe. Um, on top of the fact, my understanding is uh, they're wanted in five countries. None of this is true. They're just making it up. That's the picture that we just saw. So the message goes to the Jew first and then to the Greek, the Gentile. What's happened here is as Paul and Barnabas are gathered, the whole city, come, almost the whole city comes out. And what happens? The Jews don't like what they're seeing. This was their thing. They were controlling this. And all of a sudden they're looking around and they're like, okay, these two guys just come into town and now they're running the show. Uh, that's dangerous for us. And so we've got to change it. So what would you do? You would start blasting away on this person. You would turn on CNN News. You would turn on Fox News. You would turn on MSNBC News. You would turn on any news, all right? I just want to complete the cycle here for everybody. You would turn on any news and you would watch this tearing down of the person to discredit them. Why? Because this person is a threat to your power. That's what's happening. Crazy stuff. And so what happens? Because 
these individuals are rejecting this message, Paul very boldly says, and Barnabas very boldly says, you had your chance. It's now gone. Wow. I mean, we're a free church. You don't even have to pay to come here. No, you do. Make sure you pay before you leave. I'm just kidding. Paul and Barnabas <coughs> tell them, you're done. We're taking our message elsewhere because you're rejecting it. There's not a lot of dialogue here. There's not a, a, a deeper effort. Well, let's go, let's go meet over coffee. All right? Let's go have a falafel. Right? And let's just really talk. No, you're done. Because of their wholesale rejection, not just because of confusion. Folks, we're not talking about confusion. We're talking about evil. We're talking about sin. We're talking about self-preservation because of greed. And they're going to reject the message of beauty and sacrifice and that which is worthwhile. They're going to reject because they see it as a threat to themselves. And not only are they going to reject it, I think in one way for someone to reject it and just walk away, that's one thing. But to sit and become a force against the truth, God says, be careful. So let's, let's finish out the story, shall we? It says, and when the Gentiles heard this, what do you think they did? Woohoo! That, by the way, that's the Greek for, for what we're about to hear. <laughs> it says, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, they believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited, let's hit it again, <laughs> right? Okay, so you could just stop right there with the story, but Luke says, no, 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 you need to see how this played out. It got worse, okay? But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. This is a pattern you're going to see over and over and over as we work through the book of Acts. Because, folks, when something is worthwhile, it's never easy. What has happened as a result, we'll answer that in a minute, what has happened as a result of simply sharing the truth and beauty of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It says they, they rejoiced. It says they believed. It says they were given eternal life. But it came at a cost, didn't it? It came at a cost because what ended up happening is they ended up being persecuted. They ended up having the leaders of the community being swayed against them and twisted. Have you ever been in that position where unjustifiably you have had someone working against you to keep you from a promotion? You've been falsely accused about something? A teacher wasn't fair to you on something? Because they know your, your, your political stands or your personal stands or, or faith stands? Nothing new under the sun. And so Paul and Barnabas are driven, but that's not the end of the story. Let's finish it out. Verse 51, But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled, by the way, they're called disciples now, those that have come into relationship with Christ because of their faith, because they heard the message of the gospel, their heart was changed. It was irresistible. Not like a Yugo, but like a nice, beautiful Cadillac Escalade. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't just try. I got halfway into that. I'm like, what car am I going to mention everybody's going to love? That was a horrible illustration. Just remember, the Yugo isn't worthwhile. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. Where have we heard this? Jesus told his disciples that if they reject your message, he sent them out two by two throughout Palestine, and they went village to village. This was like their, their beta test, right? This is like, go out, okay, and then come back, and let's see what happens. And he says this, if they reject you, shake the dust off your sandals and walk away. Do you know what that meant? That was an insult to a Jewish family. What? Jesus is asking his boys to insult someone? 
not in a derogatory sense, but it's in a sense to send a message, which is exactly what we've already heard. The direct revelation by Christ to Paul, where the people, not just out of, not a sense of ignorance, I, I really want to make you understand this, not out of a sense of ignorance, but out of a sense of evilness. This was a threat to their power structure. And so what they wanted to do is hurt these individuals that were bringing the truth. And the Holy Spirit gave permission for Paul and Barnabas to say, fine, there is accountability for your actions and your thoughts. We're done. Now that does not mean, and we'll get to this in a minute, that does not mean that those individuals couldn't have repented from their attitudes, their hearts, and changed and pursued Christ. That's not what that's saying. But in other words, we're done giving, this is not a worthwhile endeavor to bring this message to you. There's a greater need for you, and that is one of repentance and realization of what you're doing. And so we're going to take this message to a group that wants to receive it, that there will be a benefit, that it will be worthwhile. And as they're pursuing those things, I'm sure that both Paul and Barnabas were wondering, is this worthwhile? What will happen? By the way, they stay for a week and almost the entire town shows up, right? Well, this was worthwhile, but that's not going to be easy. How are we going to speak to all these people? What have we done? God, what are you doing? Oh, no, if, if this place was packed, which it will be, and, and there's standing room only, and because of our, our incredible uh, live nativity that we're going to be hosting, how exciting, and, and there's going to be so much, and, and there's going to be some people in here that are like, what are we going to do? What are we going to well, people just stand. You will stand while our visitors sit. Amen? But you know what's interesting is when you do something, check yourself, see if you, this happens for you. When you do something that's going to require much, you're asking yourself, was it worth it? Have you ever gotten to the other end and said, well, that wasn't worth it? It was just too hard. I took too much of a beating for this. Would you think that Paul and Barnabas would be saying this? It just wasn't worth it. Our reputations are slammed. Word's going to get out because the people that are against us are the high-ranking officials of this city. It's a big city. It's going to travel to other cities. They don't have the internet, so it's going to take six months for it to get out. But eventually, people are going to know. What happened? Look at the last verse. They doubled down. They shook the dust off their shoes and sent a message to the Jewish communi community not to slight them, listen to this carefully, not to slight them, not to defend themselves, but to use a Jewish cultural practice that sent a very clear message. Saying, if you want to receive this message, if you want to aspire to it, there has to be a change of heart for you. But we are moving on. That's it. We're moving on. Because right now, this is not a worthwhile endeavor. But what happened at the very end, verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Was this a worthwhile effort? Absolutely it was. Did everybody end up believing in the gospel? Nope. But God was involved in all of this. And the reality is we have to look at these events within our own lives as we ask this question, was it worth it? You can just imagine as they're going to Iconium, they might be saying, was it worth it? And what are we going to do different? Let's, let's bring it down a couple notches, Paul. Right? Barnabas says, let's bring it down a couple notches, Paul. Uh, you know, that didn't finish real well, right? Let's do our exit interview here. Let me run you through a couple ideas. <laughs> well, I'm prepared for that. A worthwhile endeavor is demanding. It's demanding. And if you've got some of the sermon notes, they're in your bulletin, you can write that in. The question here for us is, is bigger always better? The power of what Paul was teaching brought out the whole city. 
Pretty cool, right? We have this great Christmas Eve service, and we're going to bring some. We would love to bring out the entire city for our live nativity. Wouldn't we see that as a worthwhile endeavor? Some of you are sitting here, I don't know if I want to get involved. You know, I, I don't look so good in a bathrobe anymore, <laughs> right? I don't know. They're talking about live animals. I'm kind of scared of animals. You know, I saw my cousin get ran by a goat once. It was ugly, and I don't know about that. And plus, it's the first time. They're, I know Pastor Jeremy. They're going to screw up a lot, and and so I'm going to wait till we do it the second time. Then I'm going to get involved because I don't think. Plus, it's going to be really cold, and it's Christmas time. I kind of want to be indoors, sipping on my pumpkin spice Christmas tree latte, nofo. Whatever. I don't know what that stuff is. You're going to ask yourself, and you do it all the time, is it worthwhile? I think when we examine that question, the things that we look back to and we say, this was worthwhile, I think the majority of the time we're going to find it wasn't easy. Right? It wasn't easy. And I've had some great endeavors in my life where people have looked and said, what are you doing? What? And yet God works so powerfully and it costs a lot, right? I used to have dark hair. I used to have a dark beard. It cost so much, but it was worth it. Because through some of those endeavors, I've got former students, six former students, out in very dangerous parts of the world sharing the gospel of Christ. I've got three former students of mine that are worship pastors. And I could go on and on and on. But none of that was easy. None of it was easy. So as we move through, a worthwhile endeavor is demanding. And as we look at this, the question is, is bigger always better? Not necessarily, but we shouldn't be shy of it. When we attempt to make a difference in someone or something, we are usually interrupting spiritual apathy. Just understand that. When we approach this like Paul and Barnabas did, we're usually interrupting spiritual apathy. And when we do, it's going to be easy or difficult. It's going to be difficult. This is exactly what we see happening in front of Paul and Barnabas. And so there's two things I want, I want to show here. We can measure our effectiveness. If the idea of a worthwhile endeavor is demanding, we can measure our effectiveness not by the crowds we draw, but by the response and reaction of those crowds. Let me break it down. Two things. Response. How do we see that in this text? Well, when Paul and Barnabas uh, gather again that next Sabbath, the whole town comes out. What, what's the uh, response? Crowds coming back on the next Sabbath. Okay, it was worthwhile what we shared the previous week. There's a great response here, right? Fantastic. It wasn't easy, and we preached boldly, but look at the result. The result was incredible. And the Gentiles were rejoicing and glorifying the Lord. Verse 48. The whole region is hearing the word of the Lord. Do you think this was a worthwhile endeavor? Absolutely. Was it easy? Not at all. Not at all. Okay, so Garrett's just going to follow me. Because for some reason this isn't working. So Garrett, let's go to... Uh, you can just camp out right there. You can pop the reaction one. Reaction, envy by the Jews, right? Some of you have gone through management training and you always hear, now you want people to respond, not react. Oh yeah, that's parenting. I thought that would get a little bit more than crickets there. Um, <laughs> let's just say that all over. No. Reaction is what you see by the Jews in this part of the story. Why, how did they react? By envy. They had incredible envy. And folks, envy will drive us to do horrible things. Absolutely horrible things. They were conspiring against Paul and Barnabas. Scripture says, the story tells us, Luke tells us that there was jealousy by the Jews and they mocked Paul and Barnabas as much as they could. The response by Paul and Barnabas when they're asking, was this worthwhile, is to see the rejoicing by the Gentiles, but the interruption of spiritual apathy is always going to create a reaction. 
Can I encourage you that in your own life? That when there is a, an interruption in your spiritual apathy, don't get angry. Get a Yugo. No. <laughs> don't get angry. Get right with God. Pursue that which is good and healthy for you. To embrace the understanding that we don't know everything and that most of the time we're probably struggling. We're probably barely getting along. We struggle with insecurities. We struggle with guilt. We struggle with uh, the, the sense of feeling uh, adequate. It's all around us over and over and over. And so when someone comes along and gives a whole new message and it starts to interfere with, well, if I'm truly going to believe in this, if I'm truly going to follow this, then I'm going to have to change. Oh, the C word is not good in our lexicon. And yet, why do you have a whole group that's rejoicing and praising? Why does the word travel out throughout the whole region? Why is it everybody isn't accepting this? Because there's a reaction. Because this message interrupts spiritual apathy. I pray it interrupts your spiritual apathy today. Not so that you react, but so that you respond. There's a way that we do this really bad in churches. This is a mea culpa moment. And I call this churches behaving badly. Okay? Churches behaving badly. The American church is notorious for this. We talked a little bit about this in our, uh, our Bible study this morning in the adult hour during 9 o'clock. Shameless plug. Three ways that we see churches behaving badly. And I'm going to relegate this to the American church. You ready? One is the show. Uh, a brother of mine here recently, and I won't sell him out, but he was sharing how uh, other brothers in Christ were showing him certain things that were going on at other churches and, and uh, with youth groups, and they were just comparing notes, and he was showing on his phone some pictures of, of what the... Um, what the facility looked like. And uh, the assessment was, it looks like a club. And the response back was, well, that's how every church looks. Folks, that's the show. Let's pretend this. All of a sudden, something magnificent is going on here. And we start drawing huge crowds huge crowds. And so we build, and we build something that is just, it, it is the highlight of the entire city of Concord, and that draws more crowds. And what we do is we paint the entire place purple with purple high shag carpet. I can guarantee you we will be in every leadership magazine for Christianity and churches around the United States, and without ever meeting with any of us or having a phone conversation, you're going to start to see churches all over the United States paint their churches purple and put in purple high shag carpet. Why? Because what I said there had no spiritual impact. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe purple has some intrinsic thing, I don't know, but it has no spiritual impact whatsoever. It is the wrong thing. It's what I call Las Vegas versus the Grand Canyon. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Free membership for a month. Keep them coming. I'll give you a year. <laughs> it's the show. And we in America are impressed with stuff. We're impressed with the show. It's going to be awesome here in a minute. I'm going to have Muppets appear up there behind the thing. And those two dwarfs are going to talk and hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo, right? And, 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 but that's what we do in church. Pastors do this all the time. They're here, they'll hear some, some new teaching or they'll hear... Uh, the, the great speaker that happened over there, and what are they going to do? They're going to tear them down, like the two Muppet guys. It's in our blood. We are no different than the Jews that heard this message. And part of the problem is because we run a show. We don't run a show here. The only show we want to have is the Grand Canyon. What do I mean by that? It's amazing how many people go to Las Vegas. All that's in Las Vegas is man's tribute to man. 
That's it. And yet people around the world flock there. It's man's salute to man. And yet just, I don't know, what is it, 100 miles away? Is another incredible place that people flock to from all over the world. And other than a visitor center and some plexiglass platform you stand out over and have a heart attack, I've only heard about it. What you're seeing there is the impressive work of God's hand. But churches so much of the time get more impressed and make decisions to be Las Vegas and not the Grand Canyon. This is wrong. This is wrong. And this is how sometimes we become what the Jews were in this story. Second way that the churches are behaving badly, I call them the sour. Oh, I actually kind of gave this away. This is the reaction and it's based in envy and eyes that are focused on man versus the Spirit of God. So something incredible happens in a ministry somewhere and it's changing lives all over the place. We have started CR, Celebrate Recovery. As, as, yeah, I got one woohoo. All right, you get a half a membership because it was not really strong. That was a very strong amen, and uh, so you get a half a membership. Um, we've started CR. Can I just tell you that as I sat and talked with a brother of mine that I love dearly and a very spiritual guy, was talking about this endeavor that we want to reach out and we want to, you know, start counseling ministry, and their point to me was, without me ever saying anything, but just don't tell me you're ever going to start a CR. And... I spent a lot of time praying through this, and the reason is, is because I came out of these Jewish speakers that we see in the story, these evangelical gateway truth protectors that do nothing but tear down. They're looking for ways to tear down Christian brothers and sisters. I'm not talking about protecting truth. Truth has to be protected. But if anything even is associated slightly with an individual that they think their theology is slightly off, it doesn't matter the work that they're doing. It doesn't matter if God's hand or stamp of approval is on it. It doesn't matter if there's transformed lives. They don't, they're not going to look at all of that. They're just going to simply say, just like these Jews, they're going to try to tear down that person. Oh, we in the pastors are so good at that. Especially when we go to pastor's conferences, that's even better. Because the poor slouch that has to stand up there and tell us, you know, stuff for three, uh, three days, all pastors are going to do is go back to their, their tables where we're going to eat, and we're all going to discuss how good was that person, or were they accurate, were they right on theologically, and, and that's what we do. I'm not sure that God's involved in any of that. I'll be bold. God's not involved in any of that. Again, I'm not speaking about if someone blatantly speaks something that's not true. That's a different case of what I'm talking about. But this is where the way churches are behaving badly, the sour. The last one is the solution. Isn't that nice? Rather than keep going with it like a very negative thing, I'm like, we're going to give you the solution. It's found in John 3, 25 through 30, and I'm just going to reference it. Jesus is increasing in his ministry. Jesus has a cousin. His name is... John. And John had a thriving ministry. If you, if you wanted to be about Jehovah, you went to John, and you were one of John's disciples. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts baptizing, and Jesus is growing in popularity. And what do you think John's boys said? Man, look at those guys go. That's exciting. And you know him. You're like cousins. No, that's not what they said. They said, John, do you see what's happening over here? We were the thing in town. Now these guys are getting really popular. What are we going to do? We're losing our influence. Does that sound familiar? It's exactly what was going on for Paul and Barnes. And so John said, you're right. Good point. That's my cousin. Who does he think he is? This is my zone. He needs to keep it up in the northern regions in the Galilee area. No, he didn't say that at all. He said, I must decrease so that he might what? 
increase. He says, who are we to argue with a message that's coming from heaven? What they are doing is obviously something the Father has anointed. Do you not see that? Your argument isn't with their disciples and the growing thing that's happening and the fact that we're, we're diminishing over here. Rejoice! Because it's about Him. That's what John said. I wonder how often that would be said by pastors in our American churches. As the new startup church starts peeling people off. And there's something exciting going on as opposed to becoming jealous and envious. You see, I'm picking on myself now, right? Because that's appropriate. If one of you goes to a new startup church, I am showing up at 2 in the morning on your door, and I'm going to first pray over you, and then I'm going to egg your car, okay? I mean, there's, there's the whole spiritual part. I don't want you to miss that, but, you know, there's the real stuff. If you're fairly new here, I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. <laughs> I really want to make that disclaimer right now. Uh, let's, let's get these, the rest of these points going here. A worthwhile endeavor usually comes at a cost. Most spiritual growth happens at the expense of Satan's territory. Think about that. Most spiritual growth happens at the expense of Satan's territory. Do you think that a worthwhile spiritual cause is going to meet resistance? Absolutely. But the beauty of this story as we look at it is we have Christ. And I'm trying to figure out how to do that with paper, scissors, rock. But all you need to know is Satan loses every time. All right? So next time you do paper, scissors, rock, form a cross and just say, I win every time. Okay? You like that? That wasn't even in the notes. But the reality is, is that, yes, we're going we're gonna, to, as we endeavor in this spiritual territory, we're dealing against Satan's territory, and we're going to meet resistance. You're going to get attacked. It's going to be hard. The question is, is it worthwhile? The Jews judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. Verse 46. The reality of this is, because of their choices, because of the harboring of envy and jealousy, they pronounced judgment on themselves. And what was the judgment? Not that they can't ever have eternal life. Not that the message of salvation wasn't to them. The judgment was simply this, we're moving on. We're going to those that want to hear this message. We're moving on. Our church has a choice to make. Do we share the word of the Lord as we read here and risk the scrutiny and unpopular reputation by secularists and secular Christians? Think about this. I've had this statement said to me so many times by people who would be in the camp with the Jewish people in this story. this statement, your church better get with the times or it will die. Can I encourage you, our church, not our building, our church, our people, had better get with this or we will die. Two years of membership. (laughs) We have got to get with this because this speaks to all of life with joy. What was the result when the people heard the word of the Lord? They went around ripping their clothes and beating their children and their dogs and their goats and and it was really horrible. No, it says they rejoiced and they glorified God. I mean, what are we trying to do here day in, day out? And we keep running up against resistance and we keep running, and it's always so hard, isn't it? It's always so hard. With Christ, nothing is hard. Nothing is hard for him. But the enemy wants to steal and kill and destroy. In closing, let me share this. Let's go to the the last verse that I have there. So God's design 
The last concept here is that a worthwhile endeavor yields fruit. God's design, not man's. As many as were appointed to eternal life did what? They believed. Verse 48. Okay? What else happened? The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Verse 52. The word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Verse 49. This isn't a bad story. This isn't a sad story. Did Paul and Barnabas have to hightail it out of town? Yup. But look at all the incredible stuff that happened. So Barnabas and Paul and their entourage are on their way to Iconium. And they're walking down the road and they're eating a little non-bread maybe, right? And they're discussing their work. Right? They're having a meeting. They're probably evaluating, was it worth it? I hope that what they said, I know what they said, is it was worth it and God worked. It doesn't matter whether it's easy or hard. It's what God calls us to. And usually when it's worthwhile, when we see great results, when we see fruit, it's hard. Let me leave you with a practical sense of Scripture. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3 speaks to this for us. And this morning we're going to be participating in the Lord's table, which is an incredible time of worship between ourselves and our Lord and Savior. But as we do so, it's a great time to reflect. What have I done with my life? Right? I love the end of Saving Private Ryan where, you know, as an old man, Captain Miller, or Private Ryan is, is in a military graveyard and he's looking at some of those that I think was Captain Miller's gravestone and he asks his family, he begs his family, in reflection. He says, tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I'm a good man. And the reason he's asking that question is because the last words out of Captain Miller's mouth. He grabbed him, and Captain Miller, if I remember the movie right, was the last one out of this troop that gave their lives. Gave their lives that Ryan would live. And he grabs Ryan, and his last words are, make this count. Can we make it count in our own lives to seek God who loves us, who wants the best for us, who holds to truth and goodness? He needs to win some spiritual territory in our heart. Are you open to that? If so, pursue him. And his promise is seek and you will what? You'll find. You'll find. Listen to this last verse or section of verses out of 1 Corinthians 3. And starting in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I have laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. Right? So let's build something that's worthwhile. For one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So you all have the choice. I have the choice to build a foundation in my life that has nothing to do with God. So there there is our challenge. There is our question. Are we going to build a foundation of life that's surrounded in, in pursuit of Jesus Christ or in our own strength? And so what does he say? For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that one has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. What is this saying? There's there's so much here. It's very simple. That to build something worthwhile is to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Right? Don't buy the Hugo. It's going to break down. You're going to have buyer's remorse. Build on Jesus Christ. And then as you build, let him help build. 
so that what you do together with him lasts. When it is evaluated, when you're up for your review, so to speak. And the literalness of this is that when we go before God, we're done. We're done with our race, that that we can't do anything more to add to it. What do we have to offer to him to say, this was my offering, this is what I did, this was what I thought was worthwhile? When tested, if it has merit, if it has bearing, there will be a reward. There will be a reward. But just remember, those things that we strive for that will yield a reward usually aren't easy. They usually aren't easy. And that is a challenging message in the world we live in here. A very challenging message. Because it's going to mean, just like that Jewish group, we're going to have to let go of some things. Right? In order that we might embrace and rejoice. Here's the interesting thing to walk away from all this. Those who wouldn't let go, how are they painted in the story? Happy? Satisfied? Peaceful? No, they're an angry, bitter, ugly people. But they've got their power. Versus those who built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He says they're rejoicing. They're glorified. They were happy. They were thriving. There's a message of value in there for us. This morning, I encourage you on two levels. One, if you have yet to know this Jesus Christ, seek. Seek. At the end of this service, come talk with me. Say, I want to seek. I have no idea what that means, but I want that foundation. I don't want the you go. Now, if you know Christ, What are you doing with what he's given you? What is worthwhile that you are pursuing? Because when it's all been said and done, we'll stand before him and he'll say, okay, faithful servant, what'd you do with the time I gave you and all of my help to help you out? What will you have to offer? We're not called to a life of easy. We're called to a life that is glorious. And we get to walk that and pursue that with the help of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let me close the sermon in prayer, and then I've got a few things to share with you, and then I'll call up the men to help with... Or actually, we're going to do worship um, as a response of praise to what we just heard. So let me go ahead and pray over that. Father, thank you for this message today. And that we would pursue those things that are worthwhile, God. That we would know what is worthwhile that we would lead out in what is worthwhile. Let your Spirit speak to our hearts today. To you be all glory. Amen.